the Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. We're going to have a discussion episode this week, but we're actually going to approach it in a little bit of a different way than how we usually do. The topic for this episode is going to be basic income and the social safety net. And this is an area that actually my work with Universal Income Project has focused on quite a bit over the past few years. So I'm coming in with some pretty strong perspectives. And so I'm going to be having a conversation with Owen where he's going to ask me a bit about this and we're going to get into discussing this, this whole topic. Yeah, so I think Jim has something of a unique perspective here. So let's just dive into that. Jim, how do you think we should look at basic income in relation to other somewhat similar social safety net programs? So this is something that I early on I, I felt somewhat ambivalent about. I When I first was introduced to universal basic income, the idea that this could and should really replace some of our existing social programs seemed like it made sense, since if you're giving everyone a basic income, why do you need something like general assistance or food stamps? It seems like those, those sorts of things come pretty redundant if you have a UBI in place. But a lot of my work through Universal Income Project was really talking to people and organizations on the left, on progressives, and sharing the idea of, of UBI with them, but also getting their views on it, getting their reactions, hearing their concerns. And based on that experience, I've actually pretty strongly shifted my perspective into thinking that it's actually really, really important that any UBI proposal that you want to be progressive really not touch any existing social programs, that it should be seen as something separate than, than a replacement for the safety net we have today. And that that is what we need to do if we really want to ensure that this is something that's going to be lifting everyone up. Yeah. So... That makes a fair amount of sense to me, but once I start to think about policy, I, I st it's very hard for me to not then think about, okay, what about unemployment insurance? What about the EITC? Do you think the policy itself of basic income should be changed in some way so that it doesn't interact with those programs or is somehow made separate from them? So I, I think it, sh it should be separate from them, obviously. I, I, I see it as a separate program, not something that you would wrap in with those other ones, because I, I think there isn't really any way you can talk about changing or replacing if, if it was part of the same thing. As far as should it be taxable income, should it disqualify you from other benefits, that I'm more agnostic about. I think there's different ways you can approach it with, on either side of that that can still make sense. Um, because if you say, for example, you're going to get your basic income, it will be taxed though, and then you'll obviously get taxed income beyond that. If you're shifting your income tax structure anyways, I mean, it, it can basically come out to the same thing, depending on, on how you set that up. As far as should you qualify for other programs, I think that there's, I think it would be reasonable to say, at least in some cases, that if you're counting that as income, then de facto, you may be disqualified from those other programs. But if you're still leaving those on the books, such that for whatever reason, if someone either immediately or in the future isn't getting their basic income, you still have that as your fallback. I think that's something that people would on the left would be a lot more comfortable with because it doesn't, it doesn't put you in a position of saying, we're going to be scrapping all this stuff. That's really been some pretty hard-won victories over time and, and are very much under attack today. 
and instead saying that, oh, with this new program, you will have people who won't be in a position to use it as much, that I think would make people feel a lot more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I could see something, the way I like to think of this is a basic income should make those programs less necessary and and that the stakes are lower for most people if they're not getting, you know, if their unemployment insurance expires, then they still have their basic income or, you know, they're not getting the EITC or the, it's a huge hassle to get their disability payments. So I don't know, does that, does that jive with how, how you think of it? Or is it more that like, we should just not be thinking of these two things in even the same realm? It's much more the latter because I think there is... I mean, you do you do have effectively these two camps in, in amongst basic income supporters at this point. One is the replace social safety net camp. And there's obviously a spectrum of how much you think it's appropriate to replace from full-on Charles Murray, scrap everything, to something more like the Freedom Dividend, which is let's replace some programs, but leave ones that, that seem particularly important. Um, I, I think obviously there's not entire clarity as to what that looks like, um, since it's it's been a, a somewhat evolving space for the Yang campaign. But I think that is qualitatively, there, there's one group of folks on that side. And then qualitatively, there's also, again, the folks on the left who say, this is a separate thing. This These should not touch each other. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be thinking of this in the context of replacing things. We should be thinking it in the context of something new. So part of the reason why I think this is so important is because when we talk at this point about what our policy is, even, even if you're a presidential candidate, that policy is only a starting point. Anything you propose is going to have to go through the legislative process, and there's going to be so many compromises and shifts that have to happen along the way. That's just how our system works. That's how we pass laws in this country. And so how you frame what you're proposing can actually make a big difference as to what sort of changes are allowed to be considered or make sense. And that's, that's why, honestly, I think this is so important. It's less about any particular one program and weighing whether or not it is redundant or not with the basic income, but rather if, we, if we're pushing basic income in the context of something that replaces our safety net, then a more conservative legislature could take that in a really, really bad direction. And that's, that's, for me, really the nightmare scenario is, let's say a year, a little over a year from now, Andrew Yang gets elected president. And, but Republicans still control the Senate. It's gridlock, nothing happens. Certainly seems plausible given recent precedent. Mm -hmm. uh, but let's say then in 2022, Republicans manage to take out the House and suddenly you have a GOP-controlled Congress. But Andrew Yang is president, people have gotten excited about the freedom dividend, and Republicans are like, okay, like this, there seems like there's energy here. We're going to do something. But naturally, they, they do a much more conservative implementation. Maybe it's a bit less than Andrew Yang proposes. Maybe they say, oh, we're going to wrap in Medicaid along with these other programs. What does President Yang do in that situation if, if a law lands on his desk, which is a much more conservative version? And so th that's, that's the kind of situation that, that many folks on the left are very, very nervous about. Because when you present UBI in, in that context, where it could go if things, if not everything is works out the way we want it to. Yeah, I did want to bring in Yang and the Freedom Dividend, because in some ways it feels like the Freedom Dividend is doing what, what you're saying it should, which is that it's not, when you say Freedom Dividend, you don't hear 
replace, you know, EITC, child tax credit, all that. Um, and if you get into the details, you okay, you've got this option of keep my cash-based benefits or just go with the freedom dividend. But that sort of seems more in the weeds, whereas the overarching concept is not replace a social safety net, it's economic empowerment for everyone, which feels like it's along the right lines, but I also feel like you're nervous about Yang. So I don't know, is, is that... Um... I mean, I, I think my sense is that Yang is, is kind of trying to walk the line between the sure. two, like you choose. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, if you actually think about logistically, bureaucratically, how that would work, that's, that's mm -hmm. not a good option. You end up creating far more bureaucracy mm -hmm. in the system just by having that choice. Mm -hmm. um, and you destabilize a lot of programs if suddenly people can be flowing in and out through that process. Um, but I think that it is, uh, the, way, the way Yang talks about UBI a lot of times, I think it's fantastic. I think that when a lot of times he is talking about like what it could do as, as far as empowering people. But I think that there's also this other interviews, particularly with folks on the right, where it's much more about, oh yeah, this will be a way for us to replace what we have here. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what people on the left see that. And so that's why Freedom Dividend, I think it's still, I, I put it in the camp of replace because part of the conversation still is about that. Do you think to take your perspective you have to give up a lot of the um, the argument or for basic income around how the the social safety net kind of sucks in a lot of ways. So I don't think so, and and I think that that's I think that's where we ought to be more creative because if you ask the vast majority of people on the left, they're not going to say yes, the social safety net is great. We should just keep what we have. Pretty much everyone thinks it's not working as well as it should, but. A lot of folks see that it's it's doing some really, really important good right now. That yes, there are some states out there where effectively it's non-existent because of the way policy is being handled there. But there's other states like California where they, we've actually managed to figure out a way to give people some pretty substantial support. It's not enough still. We recognize that we have too many people struggling in the state, but it's doing a lot. And so... What I would like to see, what, what I think the, the way to watch this line is, is to say, let's pass UBI, let's not touch the social safety net, but as we do that, let's also create a process so that we can then assess how our safety net is working, critically analyze, is this actually giving people the type of support they need? Is it, uh, is it too paternalistic in, in many areas? And then have a process for how that can be shifted over time. Because I think that way we aren't, we aren't operating in the, in the vacuum of knowledge as to what a full UBI rollout would be, which we won't know until we do it, right? We can have all the pilots in the world that still doesn't tell us what society will look like with, with UBI. And that way we can actually say, we're going to do this without slashing a bunch of stuff. And we're going to start the process of then saying, okay, how can we up this, update this to really be an effective modern 21st century safety net? So... And this feels like a funny question to be asking, but given all that, what is your, you know, one to three sentence case for UBI, if not, um, if not all the things that the that an improved safety net is is already would do potentially? I think Yang's choice of name here is great because I think the dividend framing is is the one I by far prefer, and that's the idea that this is actually something that we all deserve. Mm -hmm. because we are members of the wealthiest society in the history of the world. 
and we should all be partaking to some degree in that wealth. And so everyone should be getting their, their monthly dividend that comes from this amazing wealth we have. And that's the framing, that's, that's the framing that they have in Alaska. Theirs is obviously specific to oil, but you can extrapolate that to a larger conception of wealth. And it's not, nothing about that touches the safety net. That's not about you get this because you're struggling. It's about you get this because you're you. Now, oh, getting back to that idea of uh, you, can, you can run on basic income, but once you get into the legislative process, you know, that's, that's a whole jungle and who knows where you're going to end up. I, I feel like what you're advocating for is not just have this be a separate thing from the social safety net, but maintain the social safety net. And that feels like it almost needs to be in the package as well. Because if you say, you know, let's, let's do basic income and we're not even talking about the social safety net, I can hear a lot of people saying like, yeah, absolutely. And one of the ways we can pay for it is to cut back on unemployment insurance, et cetera, et cetera. That becomes part of the package. So do you think that has to be part of the same message or, or not? I mean, I would say, at least for me, I differentiate between the safety net and the social contract. Okay. And I see the safety net is it's that's the thing that catches you. It's meant to be there when something bad happens. And so inherent in that is the need to target because you put this in place or you have this in place such that when something bad happens, okay, something comes and grabs you and supports you. Whereas I would say the social contract is more like what are we as a society deciding that every every person contributes and what does every person deserve? And so I think that the idea of a dividend is part of a social contract, but I, I see it separate from, from that safety net. And again, I, I think that there's obviously, if, if we are talking about UBI, it will make sense to have a discussion about what a good safety net looks like. But that's true of everything, basically. If we had UBI, what is like our health system look like? What does our system around criminal justice look like? So yes, there's, there's all these ways it connects, but that's different than... How do, you, how do you push for your policy in the first place? Yeah, the social contract versus social safety net distinction is super helpful to me. So I think that articulates something that has, you know, sometimes pinballs around my head. And I think we have in America a very good, well-defined idea of the social safety net and a very ill-defined idea of the social contract. And that's why basic income always gets swept up into discussions about the social safety net because where else do you put it <laughs> like doesn't have an obvious category because we have and I think that's why um, people like Bernie Sanders tend to catch fire the way they do is he's talking about the social contract mm -hmm. and I don't know if he defines it exactly in those terms but but I think there's this this desire for that this the sense that you know, we should be in this together. You should get right. something for exactly. being an American. And then basic income slots right in. Yeah. I think Medicare for all, free college, neither of those are, are safety net, right? Mm -hmm. But they're part of the social contract. That's, yeah, how we as a society operate. And I think that that's, I, I think part of the reason that basic income does often get slotted into the safety net category is, again, I, I think it, very, very much depends on what motivation you're coming at uh, the policy from. But I think that obviously, if your goal is to remove the safety net, like a Charles Murray, of course, that's where you focus. But I think oftentimes the automation argument takes you there as well. Because if it's about, oh, job loss, 
what do we do with people who aren't who don't have jobs or basic income? That's really a safety net argument because you're saying these people are falling down, and this will be the thing that we put there in place. And I think that's again most of the conversation around basic income certainly has stemmed from automation. But that's why I tend not to use that as as my main motivation because I think that that when you do that, you do veer into this territory where your implementation could end up being not great. So this is obviously going to be a, a huge topic in the months ahead because of the election, you know, because of Andrew Yang, but also because this idea is just getting more and more salient and is getting a foothold in the discussion. Even if Yang is out in a few months, th this is just going to keep going. And I feel like we are leveling up a bit in the basic income discussion nationally, and it's going to take us to some interesting places. Yeah, I, I think that's entirely right. And that's why I, I'm very eager to have more of a conversation here, because looking at some of the online rhetoric, it, it very much feels like people are talking past each other a lot of the time. And I think if we can really dig down into why folks feel the way they do about this, hopefully we can, we can come to a productive place and figure out how we can yeah, keep pushing forward the idea of UBI without turning off a bunch of folks. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davidson. Please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts or the service of your choice. And tell your friends we're always looking to bring more people into this evolving and important conversation. We'll see you next week.